The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Pedro Sanchez is in a tough spot. As the Prime Minister of Spain, he holds together a sometimes fractious coalition of left-leaning parties in a country that's seen more than its fair share of political upheaval. Spain's economy was hammered by COVID-19, thanks to its heavy reliance on tourism, and Sanchez now wants to rebuild the country as a model of green investment, assuming, that is, that he can get foreign investors to stump up their cash. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm John Foley. This week, I caught up with Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez in New York as he set out on a US tour that took in Wall Street, Silicon Valley and Hollywood, but not Washington, D.C. Here's what he had to say. So you're here in New York, you're here in the US to, to, um, to build closer economic and financial ties. Um, you're hoping to encourage global investors to give Spain more love. Um, and you're meeting all of the big companies that I can think of and then some. Uh, what, what's the message that you're giving them and what are you hearing back? Well, uh, first of all, John, many thanks for uh, having uh, the opportunity to, uh, to, to have this conversation with Reuters. And, and uh, welcome to El Instituto Cervantes, which we're very proud to, to have this uh, office in, uh, here in, in, in the heart of Manhattan in, in New York. Well, I think that in the aftermath of, of the pandemic, uh, uh, the Spanish government uh, uh, is uh, defining the roadmap for the modernization of our economy. And for that, we need also the, um, the, the, the collaboration and the participation of the U.S. Uh, private sector. So, you know, of course, vaccination means economic rebound. But we also need to understand that uh, we cannot do the same things that we used to do it before the pandemic. We need to modernize our economy, and that, uh, that is why I'm here, to, to explain the economic uh, recovery plan to uh, foreign investors. Got it. And you're meeting, I mean, you're meeting companies like BlackRock, Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, Netflix, Zoom. I mean, like the list is quite impressive. Um, what, what are you specifically expecting to deliver from this for the folks back home? Well, the, the thing is that uh, we have a European funds, uh, $162 billion uh, for the next six years. 40% of those uh, uh, funds uh, will be uh, devoted to ecological transitions or green investments. Um, 28% of uh, those funds will be devoted to digitalization, 10% to uh, innovation, and more or less 7% to uh, education, the, the big revolution that we are going uh, to, to make on, on education and vocational training and university system. So therefore, uh, what we need is uh, also the, 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 comp- the compromise of the private investment. We're expecting to, um, um, uh, to leverage more or less $500 mil- billion on private investments. Uh, and we're looking forward to, to have the collaboration and the participation of the U.S. private sector. So if, I, so if you mentioned vaccination, obviously, is going quite well in Spain. Spain was hit very hard by COVID because, of course, of tourism, but it's recovering quite quickly. If I'm, if I'm an investor who has not yet invested in Spain, why would I start now? Well, because, first of all, the vaccination is, you know, uh, going very fast. Uh, we, we don't have any kind of rejection movement in Spain. So we're about to reach 70% of our population fully vaccinated by the end of August. Um, we're starting now to vaccinate the, the youth, uh, which, uh, to, 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 to put the, in, in figures, 80% of the cases that we are now uh, 
uh, registering uh, in Spain comes from uh, people that are not vaccinated. Not because they didn't, they didn't want to get the vaccine, but because they didn't have the access to vaccine. 5% uh, from people that are fully vaccinated and 11% from people that only have one doses. So, you know, first of all, because now is their time, Spain is living a momentum. Uh, we are uh, witnessing a, a strong economic rebound. In the last quarter, uh, we, we saw that the employment grew up by 4.9%. The GDP grew up by 2.4%. So all the forecasts of international institutions and the, the, the own forecast that we have for the economic uh, rebound this year and the next year uh, put us in levels of 6% for this year, 7% of GDP for next year. So, you know, we are going to be one of the fastest uh, economies in the developed world in the, the recovery uh, side. So, you know, this, this is the momentum and also because we have uh, the legislative framework and we have the public funds in order to, you know, modernize our economy. And we have the political willingness. And I would say also that Spain shows... Uh, during the pandemic, uh, a strong resilience, a strong capability to adapt ourselves to this new age that we are entering after the pandemic. Do you think, because you still obviously have very high youth unemployment in Spain, as, as we know, so there is a kind of an urgent need to create Absolutely. jobs. Do you expect, and I'm going to push you a bit on this, but do you expect that you will leave your meetings in the United States with something concrete that you can present in terms of a deal that will help, that will create jobs or create opportunities? Well, uh, now the big corporations are defining uh, where to place their uh, investments uh, for the next uh, two, three years. That is why this is the moment to to come to New York, to go to uh, LA and also to San Francisco. And as I mentioned before, we are uh, going to devote 40% of our uh, funds on ecological transition and 28% on digital. And as you said, John, you're right, we have a challenge on uh, youth unemployment. That is why it's so important to uh, transform and modernize our vocational training system, which we are actually doing. That is why we transform and modernize our educational system, we will do the same for the university system. So therefore, you know, we don't have only the public investment. We are also reforming our, uh, let's say, legislative framework uh, to do so. So this recovery plan uh, comprises more or less 110 investments and also 102 reforms. Reforms on education, on vocational training, on ecological transition, on climate, of course on pension, labor market, uh, tax reform, etc., etc. So we are entering in Spain in um, a period of uh, a very intense reform pace, which uh, probably we didn't witness uh, since the beginning of our democracy. Right, and and the, all those words, reform, growth, recovery, those are things that investors really like. I mean, the other thing investors do really like, though, is um, political stability. Absolutely. And you you are often described as being a, a political survivor, and you've ba- you've you know you've balanced the very diverse needs of the people in your coalition um, with Podemos, um, but but also you're you know you're behind in the polls. Um, I guess the question is, how, what makes you think that you will be around to deliver on the promises that you're making today? Well, first of all, because the society uh, during this pandemic understands quite well the importance to uh, tackle these uh, challenges that we have. You know, ecological transition for a country like Spain is crucial because we're suffering the consequences of these uh, climate adversities. Uh, the beginning of the year, for instance, with a huge 
uh, storm, uh, um, uh, call it Philomena. And secondly, because we also understood the importance of digitalization, teleworking, education system, and also uh, cybersecurity. So that is why it's so important to, to make these, uh, these reforms and these investments. And of course, well, we, we are a coalition with a minority support in the, before the parliament, the national parliament, but we are able to deliver all these reforms so far. So, so far, so good. You know, we, we have to, you know, to engage with our um, uh, partners, uh, not only in the, co- in the coalition government, but also in the national parliament. And, um, you know, uh, at least we, we were able last year to pass uh, for the first time in two years or a, a, a national budget. We are planning to do so at the same this year and the next year too. So, you know, uh, I think that stability, certainty is also very important for foreign investors. Got it. I, I, I want to talk more about the ecological transition, of course, but, but just to, a, a couple more small things on the political challenges that you face. So, so one issue, I mean, you're here in the United States. So Spain is, Spain is kind of stuck in the middle of a very complex and emotive dispute over Western Sahara, over the governance of Western Sahara. You're also, of course, Spain is very closely linked with Cuba, uh, where there are ongoing protests at the moment. Now, you've, you've had to balance, again, lots of very diverse views within your own coalition and, and in Spain. But the U.S. has quite strong and clear foreign policy on both of those fronts. So President Trump um, acknowledged the uh, you know, Moroccan sovereignty over Western Sahara. Biden, President Joe Biden, has not yet said anything really about the embargo on Cuba. Um, that makes your life quite complicated. So if you were meeting with Joe Biden on this trip, which, of course, I know you're not, what would you say to him? What do you want him to do that would make your life easier? Well, I think that uh, the U.S. understands quite, quite well the importance of uh, and the, 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 the key role that we could play in Latin America, not only in Cuba, but also in Venezuela, uh, Argentina, Mexico. You know, we are uh, a very important actor in Latin America. Uh, for instance, uh, some, uh, some months ago, I was in, in Costa Rica, in San Jose, and I announced there, uh, there the, 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 the doses that we are going to donate. We are going to donate to Latin America over 7.5 million doses. Uh, and we are expecting to donate uh, to other countries, also in Latin America, but elsewhere, uh, over 22.5 million doses. So, you know, we can play a major role uh, in Latin America. And secondly, of course, uh, regarding Western Sahara, I can tell you that, uh, of course, Morocco is a, a key a strategic actor for, for Spanish government, for Spanish society. And, uh, you know, we, we have to um, find the solution in the framework of the UN, which has been always uh, our political position, not from my side, from a progressive uh, coalition government, but always we've been um, uh, advocating for a UN solution. Does that mean that you need the United States, though, to back away from its position? No. Well, uh, I mean, I respect the foreign policy of the U.S. administration, for sure. But uh, our position, which is not only our position, it's also the European Union position, is, you know, to find a solution in the framework of the U.N. So, um, talking about the, the climate change challenge. So, you, Spain is quite far ahead on this, I think. Your policies are, are, are progressive, and they're also very ambitious. Yep. Thank you. You know, you have a... You have a goal, I think, of cutting your emissions by about a quarter by 2030 from 1990 levels, which, based on where you are now, is, I think, one of the most ambitious in Europe. Um, you, um, 
I guess this is all this is all great stuff. What what help do you need from outside to do this? As you say, you've got European funds, forty um, percent of which are going to be allocated to this ecological transition. Yes. Um, you have some huge companies focused already on renewables in Spain. Yes. What do you want investors, say over here, to do? to help accelerate that? So we are a global leader on renewable resources, uh, sources, sorry. And what we want is to become global leader on uh, green hydrogen and this uh, green disrupted energy. Uh, and uh, we have the means, we have the conditions, and we have also the political willingness to do so. Um, secondly, uh, of course, uh, we, we need to transform our uh, industry. So, for instance, uh, the car industry, which is uh, well, you know, very important for our country. We are the second largest producer in Europe of uh, car industry. Uh, we need to, to, to transform uh, into electrification our car industry. Uh, that, that is why uh, we're, we're devoting uh, over uh, 12 billion euros, um, uh, which uh, 1 billion will be to subsidize uh, um, um, electric car purchase, uh, also, um, more or less, um, uh, we, we are expecting to, uh, to to create, I don't know how to say it in English, these points of uh, recharge of electric, electric cars, uh, over 100,000 um, uh, 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 points of, of, of these uh, recharged electric cars. So, you know, we are very, very committed with, with also the electrification and, and modernization of, of our car industry. And that is why we're expecting to have in Spain by 2030, at least 1 million electric cars. So, you know, we are, you know, we, we, in this climate change uh, law that we passed before the, the, the national parliament, we um, comprise a, a, a very strong uh, milestones. You mentioned 35% of uh, reduction on uh, greenhouse emission. Also, by 2030, we, uh, we aim to have 70 uh, 74% of our electric production uh, coming from electric uh, renewable sources, 41% of the total energy consumption coming also from renewable sources. So, you know, we, we want to, to, to be not only a global leader on renewable sources, but also on uh, green hydrogen. I think you're, the, in terms of the climate law, I believe the opposition party, the Partido Popular, did, they abstained on that. Does yeah, that they, they abstained. Well, but they, they abstained, and it means, it means that it's, it's difficult nowadays, not only in Spain, but also in you know, democratic countries, to oppose to a fact. And the fact is that the climate change is already uh, with us, and we have to face it. We have to adapt to this uh, climate change, and also we need to mitigate climate change effects. Uh, and, and for that, we, we, we need to reduce greenhouse emissions. We need to increase our energy efficiency in uh, buildings. Uh, we need also to reduce uh, gas emissions from the agri-industry. And we need also to transform and modernize our uh, productive sector. And this is the, the challenge. Uh, in, the, in the 80s, when we received uh, uh, the, the, the European funds, uh, those funds were devoted to, uh, you know, create infrastructures, um, um, railway, uh, etc., etc. Now it is completely different. What we need to do is to modernize our economy, and that means not only ecological transition but also digitalization. We need to connect uh, territories and people. We need to expand 5G. We're really proud to be 
uh, the European leaders on the uh, fiber optic network, and we want to do the same for 5G with all these uh, aspects of cybersecurity that perhaps we can enter into that. Also, we need to, uh, to give uh, digital skills for all population, especially for SMEs. And finally, uh, you know, how are we going to be able to use that, those data uh, in a correct manner? I think this is crucial. Last week I was presented, uh, presenting in Spain uh, the uh, digital uh, chapter, rights chapter, no? which uh, tries to give a, a positive answer to this uh, uh, digital transition or transformation that we are entering. And I think it's, it, it, this is very important, to not, not, not to fear this transition, mm-hmm. but to see that digitalization could uh, create... Uh, a very positive means in order to guarantee a major prosperity for all. So, how, so the European Commission launched last week the details of its Fit for 55 yes. plan, right, which is the idea of getting emissions down by 55%. Yes. And, um, and it's quite wide-ranging, but a big part of it is the idea of a carbon border tax. Yes. So, and, and a carbon border tax, basically, I'm boiling this down somewhat, but it, but it means that you could end up slapping a charge on certain kinds of imports from countries that don't adequately price carbon. Now, how the United States doesn't love this idea. China definitely does not love this idea. Is this, what do you think of it? Is this well, worth uh, I, I support, the I support Western the, alliance over and relationship with China? You support a carbon I, I support it. I think this is a question, it's a matter of a level play field. And when you speak with the industry in Europe, uh, they feel, and governments also we feel, that uh, we are not playing uh, with the same level of protection and commitment towards this uh, climate change uh, um, uh, challenge. But uh, this um, uh, proposition of the Commission is uh, much more uh, complex. We have the carbon tax burden, but also we have uh, the extension of the ETEs uh, towards um, buildings and uh, and mobility cars. This is the cap and trade. And I think this is something that we need to, uh, to review. Of course, Spain is committed with, uh, with this goal of 55. Of course, we need uh, to engage other ma- major economies, such as the, the U.S. That is why we are so happy uh, to, to have, uh, again, the U.S. on board uh, with this uh, Paris uh, Agreement. Mm-hmm. But um, I do believe that we have to uh, review some of these uh, propositions made by the, by the Commission, because in the end, could it could be a regressive uh, a policy. And this is very important because as a progressive government, it, it is indeed key that this transition has a, a, an inclusive perspective, not an elitism perspective. It is important that all society, especially the most vulnerable, see uh, these transitions as uh, opportunities and not as uh, an opportunity for a new exclusion and, uh, and major inequality. So, uh, and that's a really inf- important point that I, w- I want to come back to. Just on the on the trade relations, though. So, if if you think a level playing field is important, you're not going to, you're probably not going to get a level playing field in the sense that the United States is unlikely. Who knows? But is unlikely to agree to the kind of carbon pricing system that the EU has in mind. And, and I would imagine the same is true of China. So, how do you how do you? I mean, you're here forging closer economic ties with a country that really doesn't like this. No, John, I think that Europe is now opening this debate of strategic autonomy. We have to learn a lot from the pandemic. And also, how are we going to 
modernize our in industry. And for that, it's crucial for the uh, single market and uh, the European economy to have a, a level playing field that we, are, we, we, we don't guarantee now with our major competitors, mainly Asia. And that is why I think, uh, Amit, from, from my side, from my point of view, it's, it's important to, to, uh, to develop this, uh, this carbon uh, um, burden tax. So. And also because uh, the European uh, funds uh, are linked to a another new debate at the European level, which is the own resources in order to uh, finance uh, not only these uh, recovery plans, but also our uh, European Union budget. Got it. And in you think future. that's more important? Do you think that's important enough that it's worth creating? Yeah, because when, when, when we speak about uh, taxation and when we speak about uh, reform of uh, taxation, it is also important to note that uh, most of this big debate that we are having with uh, fiscal dumping, uh, minimum tax uh, for big corporations, 15%, uh, you know, this initiative launched by, by the Biden administration and also the European uh, Union governments, you know, in the end, we, we cannot do it by ourselves alone at national level. We have to, or, or the digital tax, you know, we have to, uh, to, to do it in a multilateral basis. Got it. So back to the, you know, the inclusion aspect of this. I mean, this is, of course, the problem with carbon fuel taxes. They tend to penalise the poor, both in, at home and, and also in developing countries. Yes. And you, you, you're experiencing record electricity prices at the moment in Spain. Um, we saw what happened in France in 2018 when uh, a fuel tax was on the cards. And, it, you know, the gilets jaunes were the unhappy result of this. Um, how can how can it be fair to to raise the, effectively raise the price of fuel? How do you, how do you, as a, particularly as a socialist government, how how do you how do you execute that in a way that is fair? This is the this is the point. Uh, when I became prime minister, we uh, we reached an agreement with the um, uh, trade unions in closing coal mines in the north of Spain. We create a, a just transition fund in order to create opportunities in those places, those territories where the coal mines were closing. And that is why in, in my uh, recovery plan we are not only saying, okay, we're going to devote 40% to ecological transition, 28% to uh, digitalization, but we are going to do it in an inclusive way. Gender equality, because unfortunately women are you know, challenged again with digitalization. Secondly, social uh, cohesion, especially uh, thinking on, on youth, and finally territorial cohesion, because it's very important to give opportunities and create opportunities in uh, all, all, all the territories in Spain. No? And, uh, and of course, uh, regarding the electricity, what we did is you know, to, to reduce uh, dramatically the, the tax, uh, the taxation for, for the electricity um, bill, but unfortunately we are uh, having this uh, rise of, uh, of uh, pricing mm -hmm. in the international market, and this is something that it worries us. So, when, so the, the, the Commission kind of has a plan for this, right, in that there is a compensation fund of sorts. That and by, by the way, we also create some uh, social uh, uh, bonus uh, in order to protect the energy poverty. Uh, in, in, uh, and so Europe is, gonna, is, is talking about putting together a fund that would help mitigate some of those yeah, effects, but, but it's small, right? It's like 10 yeah, to first of all, this is small, and secondly... Uh, we, we, we need to, to take into account that these uh, policies could be regressive and could harm the most vulnerable. 
And what we have to do as politicians, as governments, is to protect the most vulnerable regarding these transitions. And this is my, my biggest concern when I read the, this uh, proposal made by the Commission regarding the extension of the ETS system to or schemes to uh, uh, buildings and, and, and mobility. What's the solution? We have to, we, we have to uh, open a conversation uh, among us uh, at the European Council uh, with the, the Commission and also with the Parliament. But so far, the Parliament uh, rejected the proposal and I don't see uh, uh, a lot of support among the, uh, the European Council. Mm. So on, um, you mentioned earlier that uh, the digital, so some of the kind of citizen-related citizen legislation that you've been proposing, you... You, um, you also, your, your cabinet has approved a draft law on gender self-identification. And you've, I would say that Spain is kind of, yeah, you've described Spain actually as being at the international forefront on citizens' rights, LGBT rights. You've talked a lot about equality and your new cabinet is much more diverse than certainly many other member states in the EU and also your own cabinet before. Um, you, this is all great, but some countries also in the EU are heading in the opposite direction um, and I would think of Hungary and Poland as being in that category. How do you think about them? Because Europe is very clear on where the red lines are when it comes to economics and deficits and debt and state aid. It's much less clear on where the red lines are for values and some of these social dimensions. How do you, what's your view on this? And at what point does a country no longer belong in the European Union? So when... Uh... Uh, I heard some, some of my colleagues in, in Europe uh, saying that uh, gender equality is a question of ideology mm. or gender violence is a question of a, a partisan, uh, uh, let's say, um, uh, battle. Uh, I think that uh, they don't understand the consequences of their words and their um, uh, saying because in the end we're, uh, we're, as, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, fundamental rights, human rights, diversity, gender equality, uh, violence against uh, women, all these, you know, uh, conform a question of human rights. And, uh, and how do you envisage uh, 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 your society and your democracy? And that is why it's so important to keep uh, the unity among those values uh, in the European Union. Fortunately, we have those values uh, uh, incorporated in most of our articles of the treaty. So therefore, the Commission, which is the guardian of, uh, those, uh, of this treaty and those articles, must react against those governments that are you know, uh, reducing or uh, weaknessing uh, these, uh, these values that are the fundamental values of the European uh, democracy. What should that reaction look like? Well, uh, in the begin <laughs> to start, we have to ask these countries what does it mean, these laws, regarding LGTBs, diversity, or uh, gender equality? And see what are the responses. Because I think in democracy, so it's important the funds, but also the forms. And the Commission, I think, is uh, um, uh, working and acting in a very proper manner, uh, respecting these member states, but also being very, you know, uh, I would say, uh, um, strong, in the message that they send to, towards these countries. You, I mean, you've, you've set an example in, in the diversity of your own cabinet. How is that something that you think that the European 
Commission should be more engaged with? I mean, should there be should there be well, more I think, I think the commission guidance is, on how is, cabinets should the, look? The, the, the Commission is engaged. Uh, and, uh, and uh, for instance, when, when, when the Commission speaks about a minimum wage, a common minimum wage in, in the European Union, at least from my experience in Spain, most of the, um, uh, I would say, the, the, the society that are, could be uh, benefit from this uh, measure are women. So, you know, you know, to put a concrete example. So I think that in, in this regard, the Commission is very committed. And on the other kind of inequality that you already alluded to, but intergenerational inequality, which is a huge issue everywhere and also in Spain because Absolutely. youth unemployment, as we said, is very high and poverty is relatively high, much higher than you want it to be, certainly. How do you... Because some people would argue that all these other kinds of um, inclusion and equality are incredibly important, but the, really the most pressing is this, what to do with your young people who feel like they haven't got the opportunities that their parents and grandparents did. How do you address that, and does it mean that the older generations are going to have to give something up so that the younger generations can catch up? Well, I think that we, we, we need to invest in education. We need to invest in our human capital. We need to invest on, uh, on vocational training, um, so, so I think that, uh, uh, unfortunately, during the or after the financial crisis, we cut a lot our public expenditure on the future, which means education, vocational training, and university. And the big lessons that we can earn, uh, have or learn from this, from this crisis of the pandemic is the importance of the welfare state, mainly those policies that are linked to uh, uh, intergenerational uh, solidarity, but by by the way, when we uh, create this uh, minimum um, uh, uh, rent, uh, was defined precisely to fight against poverty, child or child poverty. So, so you know, I'm 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 very committed with this. I think that this is unacceptable that we have in Spain 2.3 million uh, kids that suffer any kind of poverty, and this is a, a major challenge because in the end, it also uh, explains that we have a failure in our welfare state that we have to redefine. Can you afford to fix that, though, given the difficulty you've had with public finance? Well, uh, I think that we started to do it with this uh, uh, minimum income that we created uh, last year uh, that is mainly focused to families that suffer uh, child poverty. Um, and uh, with this in the heart of, of this new social uh, policy, we can, we can create synergies with other social policies in order to reduce uh, this uh, intergenerational uh, challenge that you mentioned. Got it. Uh, so we've got a couple of questions from our viewing audience. One is, what can, what can, so Spain and the US were both hit very hard in slightly different ways by COVID, recovering at different speeds and in different ways. What can they learn from each other? What, what are you learning from the US and what do you think the US can learn from, from your experience? Well, first of all, I think both countries, we can learn what uh, the general director of the uh, World Health Organization said in the beginning of the pandemic, which is, is a complete disaster to use a global public challenge like COVID-19 as a partisan battle. I think that unity is crucial in order to be effective in the response towards uh, COVID-19. And this happens in the US, and unfortunately, also Spain suffered during the most uh, um, 
I would say, the beginning of the pandemic mainly. Secondly, I think that the lessons that we can learn is that we need to invest more on science and innovation. Fortunately, we, we had the, the, the solution, which is the vaccine. And what we have to do now is to be solidarity. We have to vaccine our society, but then we have to be solidarity uh, with other, other, other countries. No? Uh, so in this, in this regard, uh, Europe is the major donor of doses to the world. Over 160 million doses already uh, donated to uh, other, other parts of the world. Spain, 22.5 million doses, uh, mainly to Latin America. And I think that the U.S. could do the same. It's actually beginning to do the same. But uh, I think that Europe and the U.S., we can work together on that. I think it's crucial. And insofar as it's a partisan issue in Spain, I mean, it certainly has been here in the U.S., how do you address that as you head to, you know, you have, there's no election imminently, but at some point in the next couple of years, it's likely there will be one. And, 2023. And 2023. And you have, you know, you face some challenges. You've got a coalition that's pulling in different directions. You've got some very um, successful candidates on the other side who are making uh, gains in places like Madrid. How do you knit together um, the people that you need to knit together in order to win that election, given uh, specifically on the COVID issue, lockdowns, well, mask I, mandates, that kind of thing? You know, I, I, I define myself as a politician that uh, delivers. You know, I like, I like the facts. I like to make. And unfortunately, the opposition just screams. And this is a major difference between the opposition and the, the, the current government. That we deliver, that we pass the laws, we reforms, the investments. And I think that the Spaniards will appreciate and evaluate positively what we did in these uh, very difficult moments for, for our history and for the human history. What's the next thing you're going to deliver? Well, they the should look for national budget, which is uh, the, the, the major uh, policy uh, to pass before the national parliament this year. Got it. So we have, um, I have one more question for you, and then we're, we're out of time, Sally. But when, when people look back on your administration, what do you want them to say? Well, first of all... This is the first experience on, on, uh, of a coalition government uh, in Spain on, uh, over the last 40, 40 years, four decades, without a coalition government at national level. This is the first experience. Secondly, it's the first experience since the Second Republic from two uh, 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 political parties in, uh, let's say, the, the progressive uh, uh, space, no? of our political system. And finally, um, I think that, of course, the response to the pandemic, but also the, the, that we started to respond the big transformation that Spain uh, must uh, tackle, which is, of course, the ecological transition and, and secondly, the digital uh, transformation. Got it. Well, thank you again. Welcome to the United thank States. Thank you, John. I hope the trip is a success. Great to meet you. It is, has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Exchange. If you liked it, don't forget to check out our weekly Reuters Breaking Views podcast, Views Room, and our daily finance and opinion columns, which you can find alongside lashings of freshly served global news and analysis at Reuters.com.